0: Welcome, everyone. I'm Joe Van Hoogen, and this is The Bread of Life, a radio ministry sponsored by Church Partnership Evangelism and its local missions fellowship in Boise, Idaho, The Bread of Life. If you're looking for a place to give that is taking the gospel and direct and personal evangelism throughout the world, I'd like you to consider giving to Church Partnership Evangelism. To understand more about our ministry, go to traincpe.org, traincpe.org, or breadoflifeboise.org. We're looking at Romans chapter 1, verses 7-8. through 8. There Paul, writing to mostly Gentile believers, reveals to them his mindset towards them. He considers them members of the called-out people of God, and as such, special recipients of God's grace and peace. And Paul is thankful that this is the case. Now this reveals to us the right attitude to have in approaching the members of the body of Christ. Thankfulness that they profess faith in Jesus Christ, our Lord. It has to be our attitude when we approach one another, when we come near to one another to serve and bless. The very first word in verse 8 says, First. By the way, when we look at that word, first, we know that what he really means there is foremost, that he's not kind of giving a sequential point of first, second, third, fourth. And the reason we know that is because he doesn't give us second, third, or fourth. He just gives us first and so when you see that word first what he really means is most of all foremost most importantly and so my second point is actually the most important thing Paul wants them to know he receives them as members of the blessed people of God these gentile believers I include you in my mind is that you belong to the people of God just as the Jews had I approach you in that way and now what Paul says is I'm glad that that's the case I'm thankful that it's so. First, foremost, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken throughout the whole world. Now, Paul is kind of exaggerating there. He's using a bit of poetic license when he says that their faith is spoken throughout the whole world. He's basically saying in all the region in which he's worked, not only has the gospel made its way back to Rome, but the the witness and testimony of people responding to the gospel has made its way back to all these different communities and all these places, and so everywhere Paul works, there's the rumor going on that there are people in Rome who are believing in Christ. By the way, when he says here, the knowledge of your faith is spoken throughout the whole world, he's not saying your really heroic actions of faith, the great deeds and mighty deeds that you're doing in faith, the remarkable service that you're rendering in faith. That's not what he's referring to. He's just referring to the fact that it's getting back to us, that you're turning to Jesus Christ and believing and trusting in him. Your faith is being spoken of. Your decision to repent of your sins and come to him. It's finding its way back to us and, you know, I'm so thankful to learn this. The word was getting out that here in the capital city of the Roman Empire, that place that was the center of the worship of Caesar, that place where it was propagated all kinds of false forms of worship in which there was this power that was being rendered that was harsh and was seemingly delivered by the power of man. Here in this place, there's this story being told of people who are coming to faith throughout the Roman city, even within the royal household itself. As that story is told and it comes back, it's a blessing to those who are hearing it. And they're they're delighted to find out that this is so. Again, just to hear that people are coming into saving faith and that this, this faith is taking root and this seed is producing fruit in the city of Rome, something that causes them to be very grateful. And by the way, I have to say something here that when God is really at work in the church, uh, the great mark of it is a fruitfulness of people coming to Jesus. And you don't have to advertise it. There were no banners being put up. There was no message going out. There was no rump a where they were trying to attract people to their community. Nowadays, you know, if there's a church oftentimes in your community that's growing really fast, pastors know it, but it's not because more people are coming to Christ. It's because the people in their church are leaving to go to that church. You know, it's like the latest thing. It's the most popular church. The music is great, you know, that's dynamic. And so they know, yeah, I know that church is growing now. But that's not how it was then. <laughs> when the church was growing and expanding, it was because... People were meeting the Lord Jesus and being saved. And they didn't have to advertise it. They didn't have to try to be unique and stand out in order to position themselves in the community. That message got out. That message was heard. It started to ripple through. People were related to people whose lives were changed. It was odd and strange to them. They started talking about it. And that got out through the community. Other people were discovering these things, and that got out too. You'll remember that, Paul writes the letter to Philemon. Later, Paul is going to go back to Rome. As I said, he's going to go in chains as a prisoner. and Somehow during that time, he comes in contact with a man who has fled the city in which he lived and the master that claimed him as a slave. And that man was led to Christ by Paul, Onesimus. And he's discipled by Paul in Rome. And then Onesimus goes back and he goes back to the house of Philemon. Paul writes him and says, "Now I want you to receive him, and I don't want you to be harsh on the slave, but take him back into slavery. Paul says, no, I want you to receive him now as a brother. In fact, I want you to receive him like you received me. I want you to give him the best room in your house, basically. But you see how the gospel and its impact on people's lives began to find its way back and be heard. It began to work through a network of relationships and sound forth, and that's what happened when God's really at work. No, we should pray above everything else is God, send us people who are ripe for the harvest and send us people who are searching for you and who you're bringing your gospel for them and oh God, may they come to you and find here a place that receives them with delight and joy because they found Jesus with us. And, oh God, let their life and that story be sounded forth in this community. Let there be a ripple effect through this community of people who are coming to you and being saved. That's what's happening here. Paul's been at this for over 20 years now. He's been preaching the gospel. He's been calling people to to faith in Jesus Christ. begun to add up the numbers of his work that has happened as a result of his witness and the witness of others. And the church is growing, by the way. I mentioned at the very beginning of this series that during the apostolic period, the, the Christian community grew from a handful of believers to over a half a million. So there's a response to the gospel that's taking place. And yet Paul never takes for granted these good reports. He receives the news foremost and above everything else with thanksgiving and gladness. A moment of gratitude that sweeps over him. It tells me that Paul was never in this laboring in his own power, in his own might, in his own strength, just trying to get people to buy whatever he was selling. It tells me that Paul was being driven forward in all his actions by the Spirit of Christ. That spirit of God that the Bible teaches us rejoices when one sinner repents. And that spirit hasn't left Paul in his ministry. He hasn't developed some formula that he follows now. And he's just following the process of how to proselytize and how to bring people in church. He's going forward in the power of the spirit of Christ. And as a result, when people respond to the gospel, he feels the joy of the spirit of Christ all over again. Every single time, it's, He's not got tired of it. You know, you can get tired of good things. There are all kinds of things that you can experience that you might enjoy and you might like and later in life you'll find out that it doesn't thrill you in the same way. Because you're getting old, you lose your emotional or energetic response to those things. You don't fire off the same way you know a little child you know that they're young because you can take them in your arms and you throw them up in the air and you catch them and they feel that joy they say do it again and say you do it again and then they say do it again and you do it again and they say do it again and you do it and they don't get tired because they're young but you know you're old because you can only do it four or five times and it's like that's as much as I can do it again you don't have the bounce back but God is infinitely young in a sense He's the eternal life. And he never tires. And you know what he never tires of? People turning to him in repentance and faith. Fills him with great joy and delight. And Paul is ministering in the power of the Holy Spirit and he's continued to do so. He's not defaulted to what he's learned and just his wisdom and that, you know, he's he's figured it all out. He's always labored depending completely upon the enabling of the Spirit of God and the Spirit of God working through Him and as a result, He's always filled with joy. And gratitude and thanksgiving when He learns that more people are coming to Him. I don't think that we can minister to God's people effectively. I don't think we can minister to God's people effectively if we're not grateful for God's people. If we... Are to minister and be used of God. It's not a gratitude because well we're surrounded by people with tremendous gifts. We're surrounded with people that are really dedicated and working hard. You know I'm so grateful because they have great stories. People have great stories of spiritual exploits that they're performing. And no, we're just grateful that they've trusted in Jesus, that they've decided to answer His call, that they've joined the family. I call this the ministry of presence just glad that you're here and we're here together and that we love the Lord Jesus. Not necessarily what you've accomplished, you know, you're going to falter, you're going to stumble, you're not always going to do it right, but I'm glad you trusted in him. I'm grateful for one another without assaying your giftedness or your abilities, just that you've repented and said yes to Jesus. That's the foremost attitude needed. To be sustained in ministering to one another. It's an attitude that fills the heart of a person. Filled with the spirit among one another. You remember when Paul's talking about the relationship of the church together among one another. He says don't be drunk with wine. But be filled with the Holy Spirit. Making songs and hymns. Singing to one another in songs, hymns and spiritual songs. The very capacity to sing with delight among one another. Rises out of this. Living our lives in the fullness of His Spirit. Grateful that you're glad that including you in the family of God, including you under His covenants, including you as the special recipients of His grace and of His peace, and then thankful that that's the case. Grateful that that's the case. Just your testimony of faith. Just that you've believed in Him. That's the groundwork. That's the foundation from which meaningful, impactful ministry arises. Mention mentioned that our songs that we sing now are so much of the song, it's about me and mine and my experience. You go and look at the songs and you'll see that particularly this started happening in the late 1800s. It all kind of turned into a devotional expression of all I was getting out of my walk with God. But if you go back prior to that, you'll see that most of the songs aren't with me's and my's and I's. They're we's and us and our's. It was a church that life together experienced the praise of God and the worship of God. And they lived in that way because, well, I think that's the work of the Spirit. Glad to be with one another. Out of that ministry rises. We'll stop there. We'll see some other attitudes that now out of that begin to shape in Paul's life. And the first thing we'll see is that because of this, Paul becomes incredibly vigilant in prayer. It's because he's glad to include them in his family as a part of the family he belongs to. And he's thankful that that's the case that now he begins to pray for them. I'll give you a little, a little introduction in, on behalf as a conclusion. You're a parent. You have a child that's on the way. It's just a couple. You've got married. You've been married for a couple years. Now a little one is coming. And the day comes when you receive them. And now they're received into your family. This new family that's declared. It was declared when you got married. Ladies and gentlemen, may I introduce to you Mr. and Mrs.? And now a new family is there. now the baby's coming. They're a part of that family. And you receive them in that home. And, and you're glad. You're so glad that that's the case. And then a life of prayer begins. You begin praying for that little... one. That's how it is with Christian parents. That's how your ministry and service to them rises. That's how it works for us too. I want to direct you now to a different website at the end of our broadcast than I usually do. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 5 commands that the Christian test themselves to see if they're in the faith. In answer to this command, and with the desire to bring Christians into a sound and true assurance of saving faith, we've developed a website and a book for this purpose. Go to SavingEvangelicals.com and take the test and order the book by the same name, Saving Evangelicals. I can't think of a more important book for our day. Again, thanks for listening to the Bread of Life. Until the next time, may God bless you.